guys, if you will, turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 127. We're going to get started on our message today. And guys, if you'll put up that clock for me, I'd appreciate it. Um, you know, we're starting a new series called The Family Portrait. And uh, guys, let's go back to that title slide, The Family Portrait. Um, you know, when we look at a family portrait and, and you see the cracks here in front of it, and, and they're here for a reason. Um, I, I decided since we're doing the family portrait, I'd put up a family portrait of our family back in the day. Look at this one. This was back when my kids were little. Aren't they cute? Right? Aren't they beautiful? Look at little Hudson. Gosh, I can't believe it. Wow. There's another family portrait I want to show you, and this is of my girls, and they are little angels. I'll prove it to you. See? They're actually on a cloud. They've got wings behind them, and they took the picture. But here's what you don't know about this picture. They're smiling. They're cute. But right before this happened, Devette was spanking Macy, and she was crying like a maniac, and Haley had just bitten the head off of a, a toy um, monster, and they, she was going crazy. So we ran over and, and put them back up and said, we'll give you candy. And then they snapped the picture, and here we go. Here's the point. You know, when we look at a picture, we see the best version. But we don't always see what's going on behind the scenes. In fact, a lot of times when we compare ourselves, we can compare ourselves to a Photoshop. Let me show you this. With filtering and Photoshop, look what they can do. This is Lady Gaga. This was the original picture. This is what they were able to do with Photoshop and filters. And how often do you and I compare ourselves to others and we're seeing their highlight reel, not realizing what was left on the cutting room floor? So what we're going to do in this series is we're going to go to the Bible because the Bible is wonderful. It doesn't leave out the, the, the tough issues. It takes the filter and it takes the Photoshop off and we're able to see these families in the raw, in the reality of where they are. And it gives us hope that if God can use them, if God can heal them, if God can bless them, that he can bless our families too. Amen? So let's do this. We're going to go through some families over the next few weeks. Let's go to our theme verse. Will you stand to your feet, those of you joining us online? Let's read this together out loud, if you will. I've used this verse, but I love it so much. Let's read it. Ready? Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. I want you to close your eyes. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd speak to each one of us today. We are desperately in need of you. We try to do things, but Lord, we know that unless you're building the house, really we're wasting our time. And I know there's some people right now that are struggling, struggling with a relationship with a child or a spouse or a parent. Lord, I don't know what to do. But Lord, I believe you're going you're to speak to us. You're going to heal us. You're going to give us the picture of what the family can be and should be. In Jesus' name. Say this, say, speak to me. Now just take a moment of pause and connect with God. However that looks, whatever that is for you. Hallelujah. Thank you for moving today, Lord. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. You know, when we read this verse in Psalm 127, it said, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. What I love is that word build, because the word build in the Hebrew, 
which is the language that the, the Old Testament was written in, sometimes those words have a little bit different meaning or a deeper meaning than our English word. The word build there, it means to build or to make. So unless the Lord builds or makes, we labor in vain. But here's what I love about that word. It's not just build, it means to remake or rebuild. Man, I love that. Because there's a lot of us that have already started building our homes and now we look back and there are cracks in the foundations, there are walls that aren't quite straight and so we're worried, well, I didn't build it right so too bad. Listen, here's what the scripture is saying. When we let God do it, he can not only build it, he can rebuild it. Not only can he make it, he can remake it. Isn't that good news for all of us, amen? Now, I wanna show you another verse that I think is pretty powerful. It's found in Proverbs chapter 24, verse three says, through wisdom a house is built, and by, what's that next word? By understanding it is established. Now, when you look at this verse and you go again into the, the, the language, the, the Hebrew language, the word understanding is a really cool word, because here's what it means. It means intelligence and wisdom. So, unless a house is built with intelligence and wisdom, but here's what's cool is when you dive into the root word that this, Greek, this Hebrew word comes from, here's what it means. It means to um, separate mentally and to distinguish. Now, I'll give you an example that helped break that down, but I love the ending. It says, if you build a house with understanding, it will be established. And that Hebrew word means to stand up erect and to make stable. Anybody want their homes to be stable? Anybody ever want their homes to reach their potential? Amen. Well, I'll explain it like this. You know, this last Christmas, my wife and I received a present from my in-laws. And my in-laws sent home this huge box. We opened it up, and, and what was it? It was one of those outside heaters that you see at restaurants. But it required some assembly. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe you're a handyman. I have to work on the handyman thing. So I'm looking at this box, I open it up and I'm thinking, okay, I need to think here because there have been many projects that I have ruined because I've tried to put them together without really knowing what I was doing. So here's what I did. This time, I started to play it smart. So I pulled out the instructions. I opened and I read them and I set out all of the separate pieces and parts and counted every one of them. Because I haven't done that in the past, and then I ended up short with one, and it didn't you know, come together right, and it was cockeyed. This time, because I intellectually separated or I distinguished, I put all the pieces and I understood where they went. Because I distinguished those parts, I was able to build something that was stable and strong. So when the Bible tells us the way your home is going to be built, what it's telling us is that we don't just, you know, throw it out there and do our best, but that we're to learn some things that will help us distinguish the parts, to have the wisdom, so that this home thing we're talking about can be strong and can reach its potential. Amen? Amen. So what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to look at some families in the Bible, and we're going to see the things not to do and the things to do. And we're going to put all the pieces in place so God can make and remake our homes. Amen? Amen. Thank you, two of you. The rest of you are just trying to figure this out. I want to read to you in a minute out of 
Genesis 16, but let me begin by saying this story this week is about Abraham and Sarah. They have a, a son named Ishmael, you're going to find out a bit about in a minute. Um, they do it the wrong way, and they eventually God blesses them and gives them a son named Isaac through Sarah. God had spoken to Abraham when he was 75 years old and said, I want you to leave the comfort of home where your family is here in Haran, where you grow up, and I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you and I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to give you kids, and through those kids, all of the world is going to be blessed. They're going to get this land, and the world is going to be blessed. Israel now is in Israel, right, in the Middle East. They have the land that God promised Abraham, and the world has been blessed. You and I are here today following Christ, knowing Yahweh because of Abraham obeying God. But when he was 75, he took the step of faith and he left. Ten years later, we pick up on the story, and here's what's happened. They're in the land where God wants them to be, but Sarah hasn't had any kids. So they're beginning to wonder, wait a minute, God, I thought you had a promise. Wait a minute, God, I thought you had this for our home. So let's pick up. Genesis 16 says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, or Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go ahead and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarah's proposal. Verse 3, this happened 10 years after Abraham had settled in Canaan. I want to give you the first point. Here's what I want to do. I want to take some filters off of the picture. I want to show you some things that we buy into and do, some things that we put on the picture. Maybe not be God's way, but they're our way. Here's the point. First filter is this. Hashtag take things into our own hands. Taking matters into our own hands. You see, when I see this story, that's exactly what happened. Because if you read, it simply says that Abraham and Sarah said, well, I'm going to take it into my own hands. Let me ask you a question. How many here have some family, maybe not your family, but at least some family that you would consider dysfunctional? Come on. You know what I think a modern day, the word dysfunction is a modern day word for, you ready? Sin. Because dysfunction is doing things the wrong way, and the word sin means to miss the mark. So rather than hitting the mark, rather than following God's way, we end up going our way, and we end up with dysfunction. And here's what's interesting. Sarah and Abraham say, well, listen, we're going to take matters into our own hands. I'm going to sleep with Hagar, and we'll have a child that way. And, and so they, they do it their way. And yet, God had said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a child. Through Sarah. He knew it was through Sarah, not Hagar. I'm beginning to ask myself the question, why do people do this? Why do we do it? How many here have ever taken anything into your own hands? Why do we do it? Can I give you a reason? We make excuses. We make excuses. Because I think as we read this part of the story, that's exactly what happened. It says, so Sarah said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children Go and sleep with my servant. In other words, let me say it this way. I think Sarah was saying this. Abraham, if God's not going to do it, then maybe he's waiting on us. Because you know, the Bible says, God helps those who help themselves. How many know the Bible doesn't say that, right? It's not a Bible verse. 
see, what we do is we say, well, wait a minute. I thought God said we we're going to have a child, and I've been waiting 10 years. It's been a long time. God isn't doing it. In fact, God's the one that's preventing me from having it. So, you know, that's probably a message. God must be telling me that God helps those who help themselves. I just need to take control of the situation. I just need to do it myself. You know, the great prophet Clint Eastwood says, <laughs> sometimes if you want to see a change for the better, you have to take things into your own hands. Reminds me of a story. I was uh, younger, and we were using this facility. I think it was a school to have this big concert. And so we were getting ready, and people were going to be coming in. And in the area where people collected, there was this big bench in the way. And I'm like, man, that thing is in the way. I need that, I need that gone. But the problem was, is on, on it, it said, do not touch. So I'm looking at the bench. I'm like, hey, this thing's got to get out of here. So what do I do? I call the custodian. He doesn't answer. I leave him a message. Dude, there's this bench. You need to get it out of here. Can you come get it? I don't hear from him. We're getting closer. People are coming. So finally, I call again. I get him on the phone. I'm like, dude, it's almost time to start. I left you a message. We need this bench out of here now. Can you do it? He's like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll get there. He doesn't get there. People are coming. So finally, I'm like, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. So I run over and I grab the bench. And then I realize why it says, do not touch. Wet paint would have been helpful. Pull my hands back. Now I've got paint all over my hands. I've got paint on my clothes. The event's about to start. What's the point of the story? When you take things into your own hands, you're stuck with them and you're responsible for them. How many times when we have a situation that isn't going the way we want it to, how many times when we've waited 10 years and God hasn't done what we thought he should do when we thought he should do it, we say, well, I'll take things into my own hands. So we take things into our own hands and then we end up with a mess. And as long as it's in your hands, you have to make it happen. How many of us, maybe you felt like God wants to bless you with some increase so that you can get a better car, the family's growing and I need to, so Lord, if you'll just bless me, but then you're waiting for the blessing and you, you even give and you tithe and you do some things and then it doesn't come right away, so you're like, you know what, I'm just going to go get the car. And now you've got the nice car and you've got the big payment and you're struggling and you have to handle the responsibility and the blessing hasn't come yet and now you're struggling with what you have. You have a mess on your hands because you took it into your own hands. Maybe you're like, well, you know, I know I'm going to be married one day. God's going to bring me my mate. But, man, he's taken forever. Hello. And you know there's this guy at work that I think is kind of cute. And now you're in a relationship. The guy's not a believer. Maybe there's issues and baggage that you're juggling and carrying. And it's because instead of trusting God, you took it into your own hands. Y'all still with me? Say Amen. I love this part of the story. It's found in, uh, it's not part of this story, but it's in the scripture. It's 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. And here's what it says. It says, cast, what's the next word? Cast all your anxiety on who? Him, because he cares for you. Leave this up for a second. Isn't that a cool verse? Here's what it says. God cares for you. Anybody thankful for that? And there's, you know, cast your care on the Lord because he cares for you, right? That's great. But I think there's a bigger message. And the bigger message is this. It's supposed to be in God's hands, not yours. And what happens is we take it into our own hands. And now many of us have a mess 
We got stains on the carpet. We have broken relationships. We have bills to pay. That's what happened to Abraham and Sarah. They took matters into their own hands, and now they have an Ishmael. How many of us have birthed an Ishmael? A counterfeit of what God intended for us because we took everything into our own hands. That's good preaching. Amen. Come on. Let's go on with the story. Y'all with me? Come on, online campus. You ready? Let's follow along here. Here we go. This next part of the story. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Now, let me stop right there and say, man, this, there's so much in this story that I could have touched on. I mean, I got three or four more points, but we just can't get it in today. She begins to have contempt. Go back, guys. She begins to have contempt for her mistress or for her, her master, Sarai. And then it says, then Sarah said to Abram, this is all your fault. Can I stop right there and say, I'm not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. You all have to work that out yourself. I'll let you pray over that verse at home. Okay. This is all your fault. I put my servant into your hands, your arms, but now she's pregnant. She treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. And Abraham replies, look. She is your servant. So deal with her as you see fit. You know the next filter? The next filter that we buy into and don't realize it? It's not only do we take things into our own hands, but point number two is hashtag we play the blame game. We play the blame game. You know, my daughter Haley loves this TV program, and in the TV program they have what's called um, shapeshifters. And they, will, they can literally shift and turn from one person into somebody else or into like an animal or something. Of course, it's, you know, just TV. And I got to thinking about it. And you know what? Families are filled with superheroes. And here's what our superhero strength is. We become blame shifters. Because we do exactly what Abraham and Sarah do. Right? We buy in, Abraham and Sarah. Sarah goes, see, you, she, you slept with her, and now look, we got a mess on our hands. There's an Ishmael, and she's having a problem with me, and, and there's all this stuff. And Abraham, wait a minute, I'm not the one that got the idea. You told me, and now they're blaming each other. And you know, that's not something that's uncommon, because we all do it. I mean, think back, human nature. Go back to the Garden of, uh, of Eden, right? When God had created Adam and Eve, and what happens? They sin, and so God shows up and says, Adam, what have you done? And Adam becomes a blame shifter. He transforms. He says, wait a minute. It was Eve who gave me the apple to eat. And then God goes to Eve and she, she, she blame shifts. And she's like, wait a minute. It was the serpent who told me. And you know, we, we hear that story and we laugh and we think about it. But how many times have you and I got caught in the play the blame game? And then we wonder why there's a crack in our marriage. We wonder why there's a crack in our family. We wonder why there's a crack in our finances. Reminds me of this story. These Americans had, had gone, they were in the military, to Korea during the Korean War, and they had civilian-type jobs, um, and so they worked in the city, and so they rented an apartment, and they hired a young Korean boy to cook and clean for them. There's several guys in this house, 
And these guys were pranksters and jokesters, and so they would always pull pranks on this little naive, not very good English-speaking young boy. They would do stuff like put Vaseline on the handles of the stove. They would put, you know, water above the door, and when he'd open it, he'd get wet. They even nailed his shoes to the ground one day. Well, day after day, this little boy never blamed them, never um, threw a fit, never complained, just kind of took it. And eventually, these guys started feeling guilty and bad. So they sat down with him and they said, listen, we realize that these pranks aren't funny anymore. So we just want you to know we're sorry and we're never going to do it again. And the little boy kind of looks at him like, this is too good to be true. Like, are you, and he goes, you mean no more, no more um, sticky on stove? And he goes, no, no more sticky on stove. He goes, you mean no, no more water over door? He goes, no, no more water over door. He goes, no more nail shoes to floor? And they go, never again, no more nail shoes to floor. He breathes a sigh of relief and he goes, okay, no more spit in soup. (laughs) What's the point of the story? Blame is like rubber, it bounces back. In fact, if we see the scripture, a farmer knows that what you sow, you don't just reap what you sow, you reap more than what you sow, and you reap later than when you sow. And a lot of us have Ishmael's counterfeit promises in our life, cracks in the foundation, challenges in our situation, and the whole reason why is because we've played take take it into your own hands, take matters into your own hands, or we've bought into the play the blame game. We've blamed God, we've blamed our spouse, we've blamed the economy, we've blamed the president, we've blamed the teacher, we've blamed the culture. Maybe one of the reasons why we're struggling in our families is because we watch these reality TV shows and we see them doing all this stuff and we're like, I'm never going to do that. And then the next thing we know, we put a little Photoshop on, put a little filter on, taken things into our own hands and we played the blame game. I want to give you one verse and then I'm going to make a change here. Let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. He chose us. Let me stop right there. Aren't you thankful that God chose you? He chose us that we should be holy and without what? Without what? Without blame before him. This verse, when I read it, just had so much more meaning as I thought about this message. Because first of all, God chose us. What a blessing. Not only did he chose us, he's called us to be holy and he's created and chosen us to be holy without blame. In other words, God says, listen, when you become my child, no more blame is on you. You know, the Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He wants to accuse you. He wants to blame you. And God said, listen, I came not only to forgive you of your sins, but I came to get any blame that is deposited on you to remove it away. You can live without blame. Man, that's good news. But if you live without blame, why are we so quick to put it back on somebody else? I know it's kind of tough, but we play the blame game. Now, we've given you two filters 
that are things maybe we shouldn't do, I want to give you one that we should do. And what I decided in this series is I'm going to change it up. Since we're talking about the family, and, you know, we're in the middle of building legacy, right, next door, investing in the next generation. I want to invest in the next generation by letting them come and share. And so today I've asked, this week, next week I'm going to have some of my other kids. Today I'm going to ask Tanner, my 18-year-old son, he just turned 18, come. Will you give him a hand? And uh, I'm going to have him give you this next point, and then I'll come back in just a moment. You know, I'm proud of him. He loves Jesus. He just turned 18. He's going to graduate from high school. But you know what? He, he and several students here in this church started a Bible study at Valencia High. They've had a couple hundred kids get saved over the last year or so. He's preaching every week. He's having other kids preach. And, and so I wanted to give him an opportunity to share what God might be saying through this story today. So welcome him. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Go turn your mic on. Check, check, check. There we go. Awesome. Let's give a hand to my dad real quick. I'm biased, but I think he's the best dad in the whole world. Um, and my mom can't be here, but I love her too. And I'm so thankful for my parents. Um, I'm Tanner. As he said, I'm the favorite um, out of all the mean kids. And I take pride in that um, very much. Um, talking about this last filter, I want to give us, uh, dive into some, into some scripture, but I want to give some context of what's going on. It's about 14 years, a little over 14 years after, Sarah has given birth to Isaac. Um, the promise is fulfilled. And we've seen that Ishmael and Isaac have this little rivalry going on. How many of us have sibling rivalry? <laughs> yeah, okay. So let's dive into the verse. Here we go. Genesis 28, 8 through 13. When Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. Somebody say, party. Online campus, say party. I heard you, Sweden. I got you. Okay. But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham and her Egyptian servant, Hagar, making fun of her son, Isaac. So she turned to Abraham and demanded, get rid of that slave woman and her son. He's not going to share the inheritance with my son, Isaac. This upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. But God told Abraham, do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you, for Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But I will also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son because he is your son too. Looking at this scripture and looking at this text, we see that um, this family issue is messy. Um, and it's a lot of drama. It's a lot of drama when you take things in, into your hands. Somebody say, save the drama for your mama. <laughs> We've seen these two filters and this last one I'm excited to share with you guys, and I think it's one that we all can apply to our lives. You guys ready? Hashtag commit it to God. Hashtag commit it to God, or rather take it to God. How many of you, how many of you were that kid in your family who broke everything? Anybody? Anybody in the house? Am I the only one? Okay. Um, I, I felt like I was always breaking something. It didn't matter what it was. One time it was maybe the Frisbee through the window, or a vase with my own head, or even my dad's computer, and I happened to blame it on my sister, but that's not important. <laughs> and I had a friend over one day, let's say his name's Johnny, because I'm not going to uh, publicly say his name, <clears throat> but Johnny. So I say, Johnny, you want to do something today? You want to hang out? He's like, yeah, let's hang out. He happened to be the same guy that I was, the klutz in the family. So I say, Johnny, I have a great idea. I have something we can do. And he, he says, okay, what is it, Tanner? I say, Let's throw football in the house. 
And Johnny looks at me and says, Tanner, that is the best idea I've ever heard in my entire life. So we start throwing it around, becoming our favorite NFL players, right? Matthew Stafford lines up at the 40. Detroit Lions, come on, let's go. Lines up at the 40, the kitchen table. He hikes it. I'm running 30, 20. I'm getting ready for the catch. And I remember that Johnny has a terrible throw. And so Johnny throws the ball nowhere near me. And it's soaring through the air. And we see the instant replay going through my head. We're watching it. Slowly, it's flying through the air. Both Johnny and I are like, no. And with the final conclusion, it smacks against the chandelier and it falls onto the ground. Now, of course, my dad opens the garage door and is about to come in the house because that's how it always happens. So we run, we're trying to pick it up, get it back together so that he won't see us. And um, we end up putting it back up, realizing that it's slightly crooked. And, but we got away with it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, but in the nick of time, we were able to pull off not getting in trouble. I hung it back up, finding it was slightly crooked and out of place. Um, but every time I'm in the living room, I see it, and it's a reminder of my mistake and what I had done, and the fact that I never told my father, because for the past five years, we haven't fixed it. It's been slightly crooked. I guess they hadn't noticed, but it's a reminder to me of the mistake I'd made and the fact that I was too afraid to take it to my dad in the first place. How often do we live for years with a crooked chandelier in our lives? We look at the same mistake. We look at the same issue. We look at the same problem because we didn't do what we should have done, which was commit it to God. Well, maybe you're like, Tanner, why are you hating on me? You don't know my story. Well, I, I'm not meaning to hate on you, and I don't know your story, but I do know this. It doesn't matter how many times we take things into our own hands. It doesn't matter how many times we may pass the blame to somebody else. God still allows us to fulfill our calling. And Abraham is still known as the father of faith because I, I believe he understood this principle of committing things to God. So hashtag commit it to God. The cool thing here is that the moment Abraham does this, the, the, the moment that Abraham commits it to God and to the Lord, he not only restores and fixes the situation, but he blesses it and he fulfills a promise. What does he say about Ishmael? With Ishmael, he says he's going to be a great nation. Ishmael was the mess. Ishmael was the mistake, right? The, going against what God had said. But yet he still chooses to make him a great nation. Therefore, for our next subpoint, hashtag God can bless your mess. Hashtag bless your mess. Amen? Maybe some of you guys are like, man, Tanner, you're an angry elf. Well, I'm not an angry elf. I'm just passionate at Pastor Jared. Okay, what do we see in Romans 4? Looking at Romans 4, I was um, looking through the scripture and looking uh, at Abraham and his life, and there's this header, and it said the faith of Abraham in Romans. And this was a whole chapter dedicated to Abraham's faith. The guy who doubted, the guy who laughed at God. There's a whole chapter written about his faith. And the, re the reason I believe that is so is because of this, this, uh, this scripture right here. Clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based on his obedience to God's law. It wasn't based on what he had done. It wasn't based on his decisions, but on a right relationship, on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. What does that say? It says relationship. 
he didn't just come one time. He didn't just come to God because he was in a time of trouble, in a time of turmoil. Coming and committing to the Lord was something he chose to do often. It was a consistent thing in his life. The Bible even says he was a friend of God. No other person in scripture had this name. No other person was referenced as a friend of God. The only one who was was Abraham. And maybe the reason that is so is because he was a man of faith, not just because he uprooted his family to move to Canaan when the Lord asked in his old age, leaving his comfort, not because he was about to sacrifice his own son for the Lord, but maybe it was because he trusted in a relationship that would give him the wisdom and answers to build his life and to build his family the right way. Amen? Amen. That's good preaching, Pastor Jared. You see, God's not just here to be, as Austin Powers would say, a genie in a bottle, baby. No, he wants you to commit your life to him. He wants you to commit your life to him and your family to him over and over again, not just one time. He wants you to do it over and over again until our faith isn't dependent on our situation. It's dependent on the God of our situation. Amen? Amen. Thank you. We can all take something to God no matter what the situation is. But the, the trouble here is, can we commit it to him? We can try, and that's our goal, because through the committing, it shows relationship. And this relationship will show trust. So I wanna encourage you guys today, commit to God. Commit your family to the Lord. Because he can not only bless your mess, like we've seen in the scripture, but through relationship, he will fulfill your life in every way, amen? Thank you guys. You know, we can take things to God. The problem, the challenge is that we give them to him. And then when we're done with the sorrow and the crying and the I don't know what to do, we grab them and we take them with us and we leave. Committing him to God is I'm committed to a relationship to allow you to guide and stretch, lead, change, direct me. I trust in you. I'll follow your plan. I'll listen to you. You know, it reminds me of a, a story, and we'll bring it to an end with this. I, we had this, um, in the front of our house, we had this bush that's on the side of the garage. And one of the things I don't like about living here, I love this area, but what I don't like is when it gets really windy. And uh, we live up in a cul-de-sac, and there's a hill right next to it, and it just whips. I mean, the wind is so much, it's so much more aggressive there. And so I come driving up one day, and this, these new plants that we'd put, it was like a big tree in this pot, was laying on the side. I'm like, oh, man, we just bought that. So what do I do? I take matters into my own hands. And I go, and I pick up the thing and stand it back up. Another windy day comes, guess what happens? Whoop, falls over to the side. So I'm like, well, you know, I'll fix this thing. So I, I stand it back up, and this time I like twist it inside the pot where it's kind of leaning like this, right? Thinking that, well, if the wind blows, it'll just straighten it back out. You know, I'm really smart, ain't I? Come back, and what happens? It's lying on the ground. I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna fix this. This time I get some dirt, and I, I make a little mound underneath the pot so the pot now is standing sideways a little bit like this so if the wind blows it's not going to knock it over and of course what happens it knocks it over finally 
the Holy Spirit speaks to me. Her name is Devette. And uh, <laughs> she says, why don't you just have the gardeners fix it? I'm like, good idea. So I go to the gardener and I say, hey, would you fix this plant? I show him what happens. He said, no problem. I come back the next day. It's been a windy day and it's standing right there. I'm like, wow, what happened? And I go up to the plant and here's what I discover. They had packed a bunch of dirt. They've added a lot of dirt to the base so that it's heavier so it doesn't fall down. And not only that, they put a, a piece of wood, a pole into the dirt that ran up and it was connected to the tree so that the tree wouldn't lean. And then when it leaned, it would fall over. You see, if I'd have just committed the problem to the gardener, it would have been better, would have been different. And so I think if there's a message that I want to leave you with this weekend, something for you to take home, it's simply this. Give it to the gardener. He created a thing called the Garden of Eden, remember? He knows how to grow things. He knows how to cause things to, to blossom. He knows how to bless it. And here's the cool thing. Not only can he give you a promise and give you the wisdom to build your home, he can even bless your mess. He can even step into a trial or a challenge or a mess and he can bring his promises and his blessings to pass. It's, it's not too late for God. It's not too late, but you've got to give it to him and not take it in your own hands. You gotta quit blaming everybody else and say, God, here it is. Now maybe your, your question is, well, how do I commit it to God? Well, one way to commit it to God is we're starting a, a parenting class. Pastor Alex is gonna be teaching it. Talk with children's ministry, they'll hook you up. You can go, go be part of it. Maybe it's uh, saying, I'm gonna actually give my kids in church faithfully. Maybe your kids are younger and you can still do that. Or maybe they're older and you can entice them and bribe them. Say, I'll buy you a really nice lunch if you come to church with me. You know, if I want my parents to bless my kids, like making the food they love, if I want my parents to love on them and say good things about them, if I want them to see that my parents have a, uh, that pray for them, and guess what I do? I take them to my parents' house. It's amazing to me how many people want the blessing of God, but they never take them to grandpa. Commit them to God. Commit your life to God. Commit your finances. I see people that want God to bless their finances, but they don't commit to God's way and they do it their way. They blame the economy. Well, I can't tithe because the economy's not very good. The point I'm making is that rather than taking it into our own hands, rather than blaming everybody else, if we'll commit it to God, God can bless your mess. There's hope for you today. There's hope for your family today.